The Nordic countries did very well during the modern era. Their secret? An approach to education called Bildung. Metamodernity is a possible future where we take the best from the past and the present, locally and globally, and turn it into a meaningful future for all. My name is Lena Rachel Anderson. Welcome to Nordic Metamodern. So like the spiritual quest is sort of something itself that emerges out of the very nature of reality. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that that I think that that's an incredible narrative. Uh, one of the things I'm really fascinated by is is how the notions of God and we talked about this earlier, God and religion are part of this process so that religion and theological concepts themselves are part of this emergent unfolding so that you can uh, say with some poetic license, I suppose, but not too much that God evolves. Welcome to the Nordic Metamodern. My name is Lena Rachel Anderson. Today we're going to talk about metamodern spirituality and emergentism or emergentism. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I have invited Brendan Graham Dempsey to talk about it because he has this really cool Facebook group uh, called Metamodern Spirituality and he has been writing about this metamodern, metamodern way of... Uh, yeah, is it a religion that's not a religion, or what is it? So welcome, Brandon. Thank you very much. I uh, I'm very happy to uh, have an opportunity to get into some conversation around these topics, dear to my heart. So thanks for the invitation. Um, it's great to have you here. I I was on one of your videos about a year or or two ago, and and our paths have crossed many times in this meta modern ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And there are other people out there who are exploring what is religion and spirituality in the day and age that we're in. How do we deal with it in the aftermath or during postmodernism uh, and, and in the modern world where we take uh, perhaps a scientific worldview and, and where does spirituality and religion fit in there? So that's what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, um, I would like you to introduce yourself so that uh, people know who, uh, who you are. Uh, my name is Brendan Graham Dempsey. I'm a writer. Um, you've kind of already named some of the landscape uh, of the of ideas that I kind of uh, peruse. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm I'm particularly interested in what's kind of come to be called the meaning crisis. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably talk a little bit about that. Um, but uh, the framework that I'm working in is is the meta modern um, kind of lens and. Uh, I'm yeah particularly keen to see how we can engage in sort of a reconstructive project around uh, religion and spirituality um, after the various forms of uh, rational and uh, postmodern uh, critique and deconstruction of traditional uh, religion and what that looks like on the other side. Um, I've written I forget the number that we're at, but I, I there's a metamodern spirituality series of books that I'm putting out, um, all sort of penned under various names and uh, personae. Uh, but um, it's sort of a ongoing process of trying to look at the, these issues from various angles. Um, and uh, as you also noted, I, I do the metamodern spirituality podcast, which you, you were, I think, the second uh, person on there. Uh, so very early on. Uh, and that was a really wonderful conversation. And um, yeah, it's interesting to see, kind of meet back up and see where we're at now. Um, 
what might have changed or what's still the same, what have you. So, yeah, I think those are sort of the main things. And then there's this emergentism book that uh, is sort of the newest uh, contribution to the Metamodern Spirituality series. It's volume six. Um, and that is, I would say, probably the most comprehensive approach so far of mine to try to put all this stuff together and package it up and give it to the world and say, here's here's kind of the way that I see these things uh, at the moment and uh, trying to articulate that, yeah, again, through kind of a metamodern lens of religion and spirituality. So, um, yeah, I think but that's I sort of I would a... like I would like to know a little bit more about you because you have a, a background as a theologian uh, and you're also a farmer. <laughs> and so you have the the spirit, uh, the divinity, and you have the soil. So um, yes, well, uh, my theology is very um, the transcendent is in the imminent. So all that tracks, uh, I guess, with my biography as well. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I attended Yale Divinity School. I got my master's there um, in a field of uh, religion and the arts, or uh, specifically religion and literature. Um, and, um, that was sort of a, uh, unexpected, um, path, I suppose, uh, that got me there. I originally, um, back in the day, back in my salad days, uh, was exploring the field of biblical studies and, um, was kind of bound for a seminary track of some kind to maybe teach Christian history or, uh, yeah, biblical studies at some kind of seminary or something. Um, that track, got derailed um, through various existential crises, uh, which informed a lot of my own um, approach to worldviews and the issue and the, the urgency of um, the yeah, theoretical, rational, mentalistic, kind of modernistic approach um, and how that's had an impact on um, religion. Uh, both culturally, but also I experienced that very personally as well. Um, and so kind of uh, looking beyond sort of the rational modern critique of religion um, and exploring a, a bunch of uh, different avenues after that um, eventually brought me to, you know, the stuff that I'm doing now. Um, and somewhere in the interim there, I was uh, very interested in the relationship of religion and uh, art, religion and aesthetics which I still am, um, but sort of been reformulated. And so that was how I landed at Yale Divinity School studying that. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then in terms of the farmer bit, I, uh, I'm i a homesteader here in Vermont. I run a, uh, a holistic retreat center called Sky Meadow Retreat in uh, northern northeastern Vermont. Uh, host metamodern spirituality retreats uh, here. have done a couple of those so far, and that's become a regular thing. So, yeah, um, tried I and it, you know this might come up, it might not, but um, for me also the uh, the working the land is a very it's a spiritual practice I would say for me. So that all uh, comes together in that. I saw a I saw a picture of your carrots at some point. I mean, this is really serious uh, oh, agriculture, yeah. and it's it's regenerative and it's sustainable and it's all kinds of things. Yes, it's uh, I mean. Uh, you know, there there's a sort of permaculture continuum, right? And you can go really deep into that sort of a thing. We're trying our best here, but it's all organic. You know, we uh, we don't use any sprays or pesticides or any of that, but just, uh, you know, good old fashioned organic gardening here. And um, we have a garden lot that's, you know, 50 feet by 80 feet or something and grow a lot of potatoes and carrots and a lot of sky meadow garlic. So uh, 
And, uh, and, and the last thing I'll say about that, or, I mean, we can keep going on about that if you're interested, but uh, that also ties in, I think, very much in terms of the way that I view permaculture, um, not just as a spiritual activity, as I was talking about, but also uh, within the framework of complexity of um, thinking about complex systems and, uh, and uh, yeah, those, there's a, a important overlap between um the kind of theoretical and the very grounded in the, in, in the literal sense uh, that complexity plays in the way I think, the way I eat, and the way I worship, I guess you could say. So uh, complexity is key for all that, as it is in emergentism. So. so one of the, I mean, one reason why I, I asked you to say a little bit about your background as a theologian is because when I, when I read your stuff, uh, I... I've, I sense, I can tell that you, that you have a deep background in, uh, in theology. I mean, you um, obviously know the, the Christian stuff. Uh, did you also study like the Latin and the Greek? I mean, how, how far into the Hebrew? I mean, yep. <clears throat> All the above. All, yeah. All I the did, above. Um, Excellent. Yeah. I did uh, my undergraduate uh, years. I, my, I double majored in uh, religious studies and classical civilizations. So I, I somewhere in all this got probably, you know, if you were to count them up, probably, you know, well, there was the four years of undergraduate doing Greek, two years of Latin. Um, I did, I did about a year of Hebrew, but then I continued all that after my, uh, after I graduated. So um, yeah, I, I, I did the whole Greek uh, thing. Um, and uh, my Latin, I mean, all, all my dead languages have, have sort of, um, fallen off. If you don't, you know, use it, you lose it, unfortunately. And there just aren't enough opportunities to uh, speak ancient Greek these days. But um, yeah, I was very into philology. I, I I think my love of Nietzsche also tracks with a lot of that too. There's something about doing sort of the, the classical approach to things and um, you uh, gain a certain appreciation for thinkers in, in new ways. And Nietzsche and I have, you know, he was also started out kind of a theological bent, turned to classics. And, you know, of course, the rest is sort of history. But um, Anyway, yeah. So I, I I also dabbled in some Sanskrit at one point, and um, uh, but my modern languages are pretty atrocious. And as I said, I mean my dead languages are fairly dead at this point. But I can I can rear them when needed. I actually put out a book called Gospel, which um, relates to all this because um, I was the the approach there was sort of a meta modern um, take on oh, our relationship to um, sacred texts and uh, what do we lose or what, what do we keep? What do we what do we remove in our kind of relationship to things? Um, and so I kind of did a kind of classic Jeffersonian thing of taking out the, the knife and cutting out, you know, parts of the Bible and stitching them together in different ways. Um, but in a very kind of sincerely ironic or earnest sort of way that tried to uh, to uh, yeah, salvage and reconstruct something, and so I, I leaned pretty heavily. I, I dusted off the old uh, Liddell and Scott uh, Greek dictionary for for that enterprise. And um, anyway, people can check that out if they're interested. And the other reason why I bring this up is because I also studied theology, um, and I did not complete my studies. I did not. Uh, I think I started Hebrew three times, and never actually uh, learned it. Uh, I passed the Greek exam. I cannot speak a single word. I, I remember that the, the verb koine is irregular, but apart from that, I think I forgot everything besides the alphabet. And then um, uh, I also passed the, the Latin exam. Um, but I, uh, 
I mean, my entry into to theology was because I thought I was going to be a pastor in, in the Danish church, which is uh, Lutheran. And I ended up in a, in a serious uh, existential crisis when I read the New Testament as part of my studies and actually abandoned Christianity and converted to Judaism. And it's, it's one of my, um, so it's one of my, the, the Jewish part is, is a religion that I had to acquire as an adult. I was about 30 when I, when I did it. And uh, when I read your, uh, your text and your approach to religion, it, it is a very Protestant um take on religion and I, and I see a lot of um let's see blind angles uh with regards to other ways of of doing religion so to speak so uh, so that has been one of my um and I bring that up because I I I know where you're coming from I see what you're doing I I've been struggling with with some of the same things myself and that's also why I I would like to talk to you about these things because um a lot of the uh, discussions out there with the meaning crisis and uh, the talks about creating a religion that is not a religion and the spirituality. Um, I sense that a lot of people do not come from theology, do not have a deep understanding of the religions that are already there. Uh, but 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 I sense that you are one of the people who do. And so um, when you start to to play around with it and see the work and we take it in, in the next kind of cultural phase, uh, you actually have really deep roots down into into that fabric, and, um, and so that's why I I, I brought it up. Um, but uh, so that that was the the theological uh, part of it. Then there's the meta modern part, and and we uh, we also differ on that, but we're both in that uh, meta modern ecosystem with a lot of of people trying to figure out so what could what could be after postmodernism. Uh, and we are in a very, I mean, you're in the U.S., I'm in Denmark. And so we are in a, in a modern society with the modern institutions. We have a lot of postmodern influence, uh, a lot of, of deconstruction. Um, but I, I would like to let you uh, define metamodernism or metamodernity the way that you see it. And then I'll, I'll give my perspective on it because we have some overlaps and some, uh, some differences there as well. And a lot of people who, who are watching this may not be, or listening to this may not be familiar with metamodernity and metamodernism at all. So it's also an introduction to what, what are we actually talking about? Uh, yeah, well, that's a, that's a big question and it can go. Yeah, you, you get know. like 30 seconds. I'll, I'll oh, give you a little. <laughs> okay. Well, I like the way you refer to the metamodern ecosystem, right? I mean, there's, uh, there's people engaging these issues um, with some shared terminology and a lot of overlap uh, of their ideas, but also points of, of divergence. And um, so I like to map those points of divergence. I'm also, a, I, I think of myself as sort of a a synthesis of a lot of those things I try to bring together and, and and see how it is that in some ways I think that we're more or less saying versions of the same thing. Um, and so it's kind of an issue of do we want to emphasize the differences or emphasize the uh, continuities. Um, I guess in short, I think maybe I could start by saying that uh, starting with my understanding of how you approach meta modernity, um, I guess I'd say I completely agree with that framing, um, <laughs> uh, um, but maybe I shouldn't do it that way because you should just speak for yourself and then we can kind of compare notes after that. So I guess what I'd say is um, metamodernism, uh, 
on the one hand is a kind of cultural period or a phase that we can refer to uh, chronologically, referring to it's happening at the moment. This is it. Um, and uh, it's one that occurs after postmodernism. Um, and then you can start to say, all right, well, what characterizes uh, this period after postmodernism? Um, and I would say that fundamental to, I think, the key formulations um, are that it is multi-perspectival, meaning that there's um, different ways of looking at things that are somehow being incorporated uh, at the same time. And then, then you can start getting into the theoretical differences. Are these superimposed? Are they oscillating? This and that, right? But um, uh, the earliest formulations go back to um, you know, Vermeulen and von Daniker, who talk about an oscillation between typically modern uh, attitudes and typically postmodern attitudes, which in their articulation of it is sort of modernism kind of stands in for utopian aspiration, hopefulness, um, kind of naive idealism, and then postmodernism sort of typically characterized by kind of cynical, deconstructive, um, skeptical, um, unwilling uh, to make grand claims about things and kind of mercilessly self-aware and hyper self-conscious, etc. Right. So in this one version of that is just seeing that both of those things are happening in some really interesting way. Um, and that you can look at culture and see things that are happening, uh, movies that are being put out, books that are being written that seem to toggle back and forth. Uh, one of the things that you did really well, I, I think a good framing of it is that you say, yes, that's metamodernism, but it's it's not just the, the modern and the postmodern. It's actually more cultural codes than that. So you also look, you bring in the pre-modern and you bring in the indigenous. And I think that then, then you're really dealing with a richer sense of uh, of what we're talking about uh, here. And so I, again, totally on board for that. So then what is metamodernism? Well, it's a way of looking at multiple cultural codes or, or uh, you know, call them different things, uh, symbol sets or, uh, you know, uh, epistemes, this sort of a thing, but different ways of being that have emerged in history uh, from indigenous cultures to pre-modern traditional cultures to modern ones to post-modern ones. And that metamodernism looks at sort of all of that. And then it's like, we're, you know, what are we doing? Are we toggling back and forth? Are we somehow synthesizing? Are we this and that? Uh, so I would say metamodernism is generally speaking a, a multi-perspectival, uh, consideration or approach or sensibility that takes into account all these different ways of being. And I think tries to live um, a meaningful life in all of that. And then of course, it's like, you know, then you can really go down the rabbit hole of, of thinking about these things and trying to understand how do you do that. Um, and so I don't want to preempt some of those discussions. Um, but I think that largely speaking in this metamodern ecosystem, uh, most people are kind of on board with some version of that. Um, we recognize, you know, what Foucault called different epistemes uh, in culture and that they're sort of discontinuous. And then uh, metamodernism is in some ways uh, related to kind of uh, integrating those things in, in various ways. Um, and yeah, I think that that's sort of my metamodernism 101 approach to try and answer that. Because, uh, yes, so, I mean, so so we're pretty much on the on the same page here. I mean, everything you said, I, I, I agree with. That's also how I, I define Metamodernity, I see it as a as a phase. It's a, a an epoch in time, um, and it has 
uh, postmodern elements. It has modern elements. It has pre-modern elements. That's where our theology comes in. And there's this, mm. you know, before modern science and the printing press, how did people make sense of the world and what were the moral norms and the uh, size of society, the uh, value systems and so forth. And then before the, the pre-modern world, which is the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, before that it was the Stone Age, <laughs> there was uh, hunter-gatherers and then uh, eventually there was also uh, agriculture or, or big societies, uh, Stone Age societies, not just tribes, but rather big societies, some of them. But um, one of the points uh, in, in metamodernism and metamodernity is that there is no conflict between these cultural zones there or uh, codes there because traditionally the, uh, the pre-modern culture, uh, the, the modernity that came after it was sort of distancing itself from the pre-modern and saying, oh, that old religious stuff, we can't use that for anything. That's just superstitions. And why would you believe in revelation? We have science now. And then we get to so the postmodern world that deconstructs the, the both the modern and the and the pre-modern and says all this old stuff is just one-dimensional and it doesn't have the multi-perspectives, um, multiple perspectives that we need in order to grasp the complexity of the world. Uh, and where from a, a modern perspective, uh, modernity cannot fully grasp the postmodern world. And so we constantly have these conflicts between people who approach life and culture and civilization from a modern and a postmodern angle. And we see constant clashes between a pre-modern cultural code and a modern cultural code. We see it uh, with theocracies around the globe, like Iran trying to be a part of the modern world from a pre-modern uh, perspective. And we also see it with um, people migrating between modern and pre-modern uh, cultures. So uh, there are generally conflicts between them and one of the qualities or hopes regarding metamodernism, metamodernity is that we can keep the best from all these, the, really the, the, the whole human experience and a way of dealing with it and, and seeing some of the big uh, chapters in our collective development is to split it up into these cultural codes and say, okay, so from the pre-modern world, we have religion, we got aesthetics, we got belief, we got um, poetry, and we got a symbolic world that allows us to deal with existential questions and moral issues in a different way than, than we could do with, with modern philosophy. So, um, so that's part mm -hmm. of it. Um, and well, yes, and can I throw in yeah. two things too, which I yeah. think also are overlap in our formulations of things. Um, so there's two things. One is complexity and the other is building. Um, so in your book, Metamodernity, you know, these cultural codes not only exist, but they form a kind of series or sequence, one that is sort of defined by their relative complexity. Um, so that, as you say, you know, there's a difference between how a society of 50 hunter gatherers will organize compared to a, you know, vast urban mega city of, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands. Um, and so this creates differences that, um, have a, mm, a quantitative wouldn't be the right formulation there, but there's a, there's something that they exist on a spectrum of, and that spectrum is relative complexity, um, and I think that that's important um, for reasons we'll come back to when we talk about emergentism. Uh, another thing, though, that is, of course, very important uh, in your formulation is building. 
which in the States, in America, we don't really, that word doesn't really, it's not floating in the ether. So uh, something more like education or developmentally appropriate education would be how that might translate. Um, but that's also cru uh, crucial in the way that I think about metamodernism. And again, a lot of the way that the metamodern ecosystem formulates, not all the cultural studies people, not so much, but uh, but Bilden being really considering that, um, that uh, developmental psychology plays a role in individual um, navigation of the world and the navigation of the relative complexity of these different cultural codes. Um, so I think that once you have all those elements in there, I think that that's a pretty robust kind of uh, framework. And again, I think that that I think that that's kind of what a lot of people are swimming in. It then gets into the hairy stuff of like, okay, given all that, as you say, I mean, you know, it's a great point. Like the hope is that how do we navigate these conflicts between these different cultural codes, these different relative levels of complexity or development? Um, that is the hope. And I think people have different models and different ideas for how to do that. And then it's sort of, that's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. I would say that the sort of, the, what we're talking about is, is uh, structures within society. I mean, you, uh, not quantitative, but the, the, there, there are different societal structures, exactly if you have 50 people in a hunter-gatherer tribe. And it's also about political power or power or um, relationships. How, how do you solve conflicts in a society? If you're 50 people, everybody can gather around uh, the campfire or, you know, bowl of soup or something. And, and you can read body language and, and you can have eye contact and you can tell if everybody is, is in on it or if there's still a conflict going on. Mm when you get into a bronze age or iron age society with yes maybe 50,000 or just 10,000 people in a ring walled city you cannot solve conflicts like that and so that's where you have to have a different kind of narrative power structure um organizing structures and in the modern world we developed rule of law and democracy uh, in a different way uh, than the greek that they also had rule of law or rule by law and um and democracy uh, and that's where we have the nation states with, I don't know, millions of people. And then we get to the postmodern world where we're connected through uh, digital uh, social media and so forth and mass communication. And we have actually billions of people who are on the same platforms and who do interact. Mm -hmm. Maybe not everybody at the same time, but we have access to billions of people. Um, and so different power structures. And the question is, how do we how do we bridge those different structures? How do we coexist with all of them and that's where it does get very complex because we're not just postmodern with the postmodern approach to things and deconstruction but we have to make it work with the modern institutions and the human rights and the science and the value hierarchies and the truth hierarchies that come with science where postmodernism would say yeah but that's just your perspective i got my mm -hmm. perspective and, mm -hmm. and deconstruct everything and we can't build societies on eight billion uh individual perceptions of the world we do need to come to an agreement on some things mm -hmm. um and then there's the that deep emotional uh, cultural fabric from from the pre-modern so yes the, the hope is that we can figure out how to bring those together and um and and make a a, a meaningful future and that that takes us to the uh, to the meaning crisis because not everybody is uh theologians and have their deep roots down into the pre-modern fabric and uh and 
think in metamodern terms and, and try to, or have, I think, I mean, for my part, I, I have found a way of, of doing this metamodern stuff and, uh, and you have found your way. So um, what, what is, the, what is it that you do? Uh, we're, we're talking metamodern spirituality. I'm, I'm talking about metamodern religion. So mm. I, w- I would like to share how I do it, but I would like to hear what you do first. Uh, yeah, I think that that'll be that'll be interesting because I, I, given the framework that we kind of share, right? Then there you can use that to to approach the uh, these sorts of issues in different ways. And I would say that they're both still kind of meta modern approaches. They're just kind of doing different things with that framework. Um, so the way that I'm finding, how would I put this? Uh, what I'm particularly interested in, I suppose, is trying to articulate spirituality from a distinctly metamodern level angle, you know, um, right? And and I'm sure this will come up when you talk about uh, your approach, because, you know, we this was something we talked about in, in the podcast episode. But um, we cheated it, a little bit. We have touched upon this before. So yeah, uh... yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but, you know, recognizing that there are different cultural codes and that religion, traditional religion, as we kind of tend to think about it, comes from a particular cultural code, that pre-modern cultural code. Um, what, what do we do with that? Do we, do we kind of just jump into a pre-modern mindset in order to do religion in that way? Or is there some way that religion looks differently from within a metamodern cultural code? if that makes sense. And um, so where the angle I take is, is that latter approach um, uh, that um, I would say that as cultural codes have progressed um, and complexified, they continually look back and try to kind of reconfigure the past in terms of their own uh, current situation. Right. So when you got the advent of modern culture and you, you're, you know, you're, you're having all these, uh, 18th and 19th century theologians reading the Bible, uh, but doing it in light of historical criticism and archaeology and, and, and then kind of coming face to face with, um, well, how do we, how do we grapple with these stories, which don't accord with our rational scientific way of looking at the world? Um, Do we just throw them out? Well, a lot of people took the approach of, well, we can reinterpret these stories through this lens, right? So there was a whole thing of theologians basically looking at things like, say, Moses parting the Dead Sea and then trying to explain that naturalistically. Say, oh, well, actually, if you look at the the way that the tides are and this and that, there's a seasonal thing where it turns red and that was what this refers to and this and that, right? So that was one way that the modern cultural code was sort of trying to take up the pre-modern cultural code and reinterpret it. Uh, and this happens at kind of all levels, right? So then the postmodern code might be to look at particularly those elements of the gospels or the prophets that deal with uh, liberation uh, and social injustice and, you know, tending to the widow and the orphan and the poor and that sort of a thing. And then reading that pre-modern material through a kind of emancipatory postmodern lens, right? So this is just something the cultural codes do. Um I'm kind of intrigued by looking at religion through a metamodern lens. Um, and for me, though, what is that lens? Well, it's it's a lens of lenses. It's it's a lens of considering religion itself as something that evolves, um, something that moves through uh, cultural codes. 
Um, and that opens up a really fascinating way to engage uh, religious material. Um, and I think that there's a lot of potential there for then people being able to re-engage with religion, uh, but not necessarily have to cram it into some naturalistic explanation or to some political project or what have you. You actually get start, you start to get the whole the kind of panorama. Um, and then certain kinds of thinkers, I think, have been exploring this train for some time. I mean, Hegel and Deschardins and other people who look at spirit as something that is itself unfolding. And you can kind of create a religion of, of an evolutionary unfolding of uh, of the divine through time. And that becomes very compelling to me. So that's that's kind of very broad strokes, kind of my approach uh, primarily. Yes, that, that, is, <laughs> that is what you've done with emergentism. I'm not, we're not going to get to that uh, yet because um, what, what I have done with uh, or the way that I live a, a metamodern uh, religiosity um, is through practicing Judaism. Um, and I won't say that I go on a on a time journey uh, on on Shabbat Friday evening and then uh, you know because I I am in my apartment in Copenhagen and it is part of the modern world and I um, eat modern food and I I enjoy myself and um, uh, but it is a, a way of adding a, a prehistoric dimension to my modern postmodern uh, week my life. And the fact that I uh, light candles on, on Friday evening and, and say a prayer, um, lighting those candles, I know that I'm part of, of a ritual and, and performing. I'm, I'm doing a ritual. I'm doing something that is deeply uh, meaningful and spiritual to me. And it connects me with uh, Jews around the globe. I mean, there's like the... If, if you looked at the globe from from outer space, you would see all these these Jews who uh, at sunset would would light the candles and you would have this whole line of, of people lighting candles around the globe. Um, but it's also a connection to, I don't know, two, three, three thousand years ago where people have been celebrating this day of rest and study and uh, pleasure and good food and and drinking alcohol um and then you relax for uh 25 hours and um and then you conclude the and then you have meals and and rituals for that as well and you conclude uh the shabbos when the sun sets on on saturday and one of the ways that i describe it is that it's, it's like a meditation that is sort of spread out over 25 hours so instead of having an intense meditation for, I don't know, 20 minutes, uh, 40 minutes, something like that. I enter a different kind of mode when I light those candles on Friday evening, and it, it's just different. And it really is sacred in the most secular <laughs> meaning of the word. I, I create a feeling through the ritual and through doing this. And there are things that you know happen during the rest of the week that simply cannot bother me once i'm in this sacred space and time uh that is that is the sabbath and um and one of the things that i i mean this is this is a way of doing religion that of course growing up as a protestant i did not have any experience with that because the protestant approach to religion is so very much about the faith and it's about what goes on inside your mind in your spirit and and there's even a sort of a slight disdain uh towards ritual because that's perceived as just outer performance and it's not the the the, the faith uh is is the um 
is the crucial issue in, in Protestantism. So, so it is a, a different way of, of doing religion or being religious. Um, and the metamodern part of it for me is that, so I'm, I'm here in my modern, postmodern reality, um, my, my thoughts and my way of, of being in the world. I can deconstruct every, well, almost everything that I do. Um, and I enjoy the modern um, conveniences and my, my rights, uh, human rights as a woman, um, which I cannot take for granted. Um, and, and yet I have these rituals from the Bronze Age and the storytelling and it's become part of my identity. And, and so I kind of go back and forth between it. Unfortunately, I do not have a piece of, of uh, land where I, where I can go back to uh, the Stone Age and, and grow my own garden, but I do have some pots in my windowsill and, and grow some um, some herbs. So so I, I do have that slight connection to it on the third floor. Um, but um, but it it's it adds different layers to my uh, reality, my life. And I do not feel a need for creating another religion, another kind of spirituality, because I have the tradition and I integrate it into my life i also eat kosher i uh when there's a buffet i you know leave the ham to other people and i am predominantly a vegetarian um so so there is this in throughout the rest of the week there's also this aspect of of keeping uh, the ritual so that that's where one of the places where we differ um and i and therefore i, I find it um extra fascinating that, that there are other ways of doing it so um I, I don't see it as a as a conflict yeah and i think that that like that's a great model for being able to inhabit those different codes in sort of different intentional ways um the way that i look at it is 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 it's sort of there are pros and cons to how one approaches it from either of these angles right um I think that a really important piece that you bring up, uh, you know, repeatedly in, in the metamodern spirituality group and in other contexts um, is the community part, right? And I think you kind of named it just now that being part of a community and you're you're doing something that many, many other people are doing and there's a continuity there, there's a tradition and all that, like that there's, there's a richness that comes from, from that. Um, and you, you, you don't have that in the same way, let's say, um, in a context where you're you're approaching religion from a really novel perspective that doesn't have centuries under its belt, right? Um, you're sort of, uh, you know, in a context where think people are trying to figure things out uh, in different ways, and there's not a set way of doing it. And in fact, if, if anything, there might even be an emphasis on trying to do it your own way. Um, and so, uh, and I think that that's what you were getting at when, when you mentioned the, like, if there's a, a Protestant element to my approach, um, I would push back a little bit about that, generally speaking, but that's a longer conversation about Protestantism. I mean, because I actually, I, I love the communal and the ritualistic, um, uh, you know, uh, for me, 
um, yeah, discovering the difference between Catholic worship and Protestant worship was very eye-opening, right? Um, and uh, I, if I, if I were to attend a church, it would be one full of high ritual and incense and and you know, gorgeous uh, works of art and that sort of a thing, rather than the kind of you know modern Protestant uh, tradition that I was familiar with. Um, so I, I do get that. And I, I do think that there's like inherent value to that. I think that I'd like to see something like that emerge in a metamodern context. And some of this we've been experimenting with in these metamodern spirituality retreats in, in negotiating, d- d- discovering the boundaries between autonomy and, you know, kind of group action and, you know, where does this feel good and where does it feel too much and that sort of a thing. Anyway, so I think that that's obviously a great pro of the approach that you're taking. Um, and, you know, you could kind of bring in a Vervakian notion of, of like religion is it's, it operates at the participatory level, the procedural knowing the, the propositional knowing it's all these, you know, you can approach it from these different angles. Protestantism is very propositional. It's what do we believe, you know, it's creedal and that sort of a thing. Uh, whereas what you're naming is very much that participatory procedural way of being, um, and so it's and it's and and I would say all of that's really important. I think that the con of of it though is um, if you're rooted in a tradition that has certain propositional claims that your rational mind can't affirm, uh, right? Then what do you do with that? Um, you know, everything that you said sounds really wonderful: lighting candles, eating food, and that sort of thing, right? But but if you're in a a particular religious traditional ritual, you're going to hear things said that you're going to be like, whoa, wait a second. I don't know about that. You know, like, what about the whole God judging the world thing? Uh, I mean, th- this doesn't necessarily relate to any particular religion, but when you when you find yourself in particular ritual contexts, things, you're invited to sort of buy into things that my rational mind anyway, kind of actively opposes. Um, and then there's this sort of conflict between head and heart, you know, it's like, okay, I can do the ritual, but so... Then there's the question there, right? Of like, well, what if what if those things could work in concert? What if I could parti- participate in a ritual in a community that the propositional content was stuff I that really engendered actual awe, you know? Like, and for me, it's like, wow, like the 14 billion year old, you know, evolution of of you know the cosmos and the emergence of consciousness and all this stuff, right? It's like that's content that I can that excites my religious sensibility. Um, and so I'm in the space of trying to bring those together, right? Because like, how can we do religion in the way you're talking about, but also then update the content of it in a way that all of us, otherwise, I feel like ourselves get fractured, you know, we're sort of forced to choose between our our procedural and our participatory and our propositional. And then, and then it's sort of like, yeah, so anyway, I think that's, basically my that's the hang up and and i feel like depending especially on personality types and different other things people might find themselves responding to that element of it differently um yeah so i guess now we're kind of approaching your emergentism and uh and what you've been writing there because that is where you look into the whole universe and how life well actually it's matter life mind and culture and you built that on uh, the american psychologist greg henrikis 
uh, tree of knowledge model. Mm -hmm. And I actually use that in my book, uh, Libertism as well. So um, can you please uh, describe what it, what it is you're referring to there? Because I find it really interesting. I'll elaborate on that. Also. So, so the, uh, trying to think of the best way into this. Um, I would say, so essentially what it is, is um, it's a big history framework. Um, and by that, I mean, big history is, is, is not just human history. It goes all the way back and it tries to situate um, sort of the, the reality in terms of its, its broadest context, you know, all, starting with the big bang and going all the way up to the present. Um, and uh, so historically uh, people who've engaged in this sort of um theories about about big history and they've noted certain moments of really important kind of quantum leaps that occur and and a obvious one is um is a life you know <laughs> how do you go from inanimate material to living organisms that's a huge one right so uh people will say all right there's a there's a matter phase to cosmic history and then life shows up and then human beings are also on the scene and we seem to operate in our own very unique way. So people will be like, okay, well, that's very unique too. So, and so a lot of big histories tended to be focused as something like matter and then life and then human society. Um, but I think that that way of looking at it has become clarified a lot. Uh, and Greg Enriquez's work has done a, a great deal to do that by um, being more precise in what those kind of points, uh, those sort of that punctuated equal, equilibrium looks like. Um, and uh, the most important thing is that he adds in mind, which in this case means like uh, the like animals with nervous systems. So um, and these things are divided according to information processing systems. And I don't mean to get too complex or, or uh, technical about all this, but basically um, the tree of life is sort of this um, that tracks the complexification of the cosmos uh, with the based on these evolutionary emergences that occur. So the matter or the universe starts out, it's all matter, you know, um, and then life emerges. So you get that break. And then out of life, you get uh, animals with complex nervous systems. And then out of animals with complex nervous systems, which is called mind, the mind level, you get uh, humans uh, with uh, symbolic uh, language. And uh, so this forms this sort of stack and all these things are dependent on each other, you know, um, so humans are, are all of these things, whereas like a, a dog is just up to the level of mind, whereas a tree is up to the level of life and, you know, uh, soccer ball is just matter. So you get this sort of um, continuum based on complexity. So complexity comes back in. Um, and uh, one of the things that Greg Enriquez doesn't really explore too much in his work, but that I'm trying to bring in is basically, um, if we are talking about cultural codes that increase by complexity, well, you can kind of stack that right into that culture level that, that, uh, that Greg talks about. And then you can follow this whole cosmic evolutionary story from the Big Bang all the way to the evolution of life and then to animals, and then you get human culture, and then you get these cultural codes that have evolved and in increased in complexity. Um, and uh, so that story, that's sort of the big story of um, of the cosmos. Um, I, I'm, it, it's, I would say an equivalent of what we would think of as a creation myth, or, uh, you know, a, a big thing that uh, myths used to do uh, is provide etiologies, which means stories of where things come from. So, you know, there's this, um, we have this 
really incredible narrative that's sort of become clarified about uh, the nature of the universe that we live in and our place in it. And so um, that to me sort of calls out, beckons to be um, approached religiously and mythologically and really integrated in a way that's um, that's made the source of our own sense of sort of existential meaning. So that's a lot of what the emergentism book is about. Because I mean, the uh, so the, the the matter thing starts with the Big Bang and becomes more and more complex and structures emerges within that the matter and then DNA at some point is a molecule that eventually becomes cells. There we have life and then we got structures within that. And then mm. from life, some of it, as you said, it's nervous systems. And I think Greg uh, dates it at the uh, Cambrian explosion 560 million years ago. Mm. And then some of that mind becomes prepositional language and people asking questions and, and replying and then discussing stuff. And then you have temples and then you have us. <laughs> uh, and, and in each of these he calls them joint points where where there's a, a joint point joining the, the different layers or, or levels of uh, of complexity um and and by the way greg Henriquez was uh, in one of the previous uh, episodes of, of nordic metamodern talking about the difference between pedagogy and psychology so uh, mm. people can can meet him in in that conversation um and so where we are right now is that uh, we're probably facing a new joint point. And some people talk about a, um, a singularity so that we're entering a new phase. And, and that might be the um, digital AI uh, new thing. And from your uh, emergentism book that I, that I just read, I, I see that we do share a bit of a worry there. Um, because what, what's going to happen on the other side of that fifth joint point? What is, what is culture going to create next and how are we going to deal with that as, as humans? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's sort of the, one of the existential questions of our particular moment. Um, I, I feel like, um, God, there's so many angles to this. It's a, it's such an important topic and, and, I think that we need to get this right. Um, so all of this ties in, in in ways I'll try to get at that relate to everything we've been talking about. <clears throat> but you know, that there's a there's one narrative that is kind of the transhumanist narrative that I think is particularly pop popular. It's been around for a while, and there uh, it's just this notion that our technology will merge with it. You know, we'll become these cyborgs, or potentially maybe humanity and biological substrates will be lost entirely. And it's just all will be kind of cybernetic uh, machines or what have you. Um, and, and that that's somehow transcendence, you know? Um, and I've found that narrative to be completely spiritually uh, hollow and vapid and, uh, and, and dangerous actually. I mean, uh, yeah. And so, um, so at the same time, it does seem to be a very, it does seem to resonate with people. It does seem to resonate, especially with kind of the Silicon Valley people. In some ways, it forms a kind of religious narrative that the uber rich kind of, um, you know, Silicon Valley technocrats believe in, and they feel that they're kind of uh, participating in. And so that is dangerous, too. Um, so I would say that that's sort of a warped version of a much more uh, spiritually fulfilling and also um, 
whatever the opposite of dangerous is, is uh, an alternative narrative that is actually incredibly, um, that leads to human flourishing and it leads to um, meaning. It leads to sustainability. What's that? Meaning. I mean, and meaning. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and so, and I think the key there is, uh, is, a, is situating this uh, kind of big history tree of knowledge uh, emergent story that we were just talking about um, and then finding the way of bringing that into line with what we're seeing in terms of our technology. But the core there is that we can't lose touch with those other parts of our, of our being, right? Um, and then you just create this sort of top heavy thing that will, will collapse on its own weight or lead to some kind of weird, unfortunate dy dystopia, right? So wherever we're going, it needs to, uh, it needs to have its roots in matter and our material substrate. It needs to be sustainable and in accord with the living vital principles of biology. It needs to be something that connects with our nervous embodied nature in a very, um, you know, fundamental way. Um, and then it needs to connect to our symbolic justification systems of, of our meaning making systems in, a, in an important way. So, you know, I, it's sort of like what we're gaining through these technological abilities is incredible power, but it's a classic issue of, you know, power without wisdom is just tyranny or, or some kind of uh, destruction waiting to happen, um, if not full on just oppression, right? So we have these opportunities uh, to to approach what's happening in a way that's more grounded and is um, existentially uh, rooted and fulfilling. And so to link that back into what we've been talking about, um, this narrative, which, and by this narrative, I mean the one that uh, recognizes this cosmic evolutionary unfolding that leads to the development of human consciousness and meaning making and, uh, and religion even and spirituality, uh, that story, that can be kind of talked about scientifically like right and and greg's work does that and other big historians do that um and so that propositional side of our rational brain that kind of modern thinking of ours can totally assent to that and in fact i think it should bring out the awe and the wonder in us um but that alone isn't enough right people know these things but they're scientists and scientists don't always do the best job at articulating the, the poetry of existence right so what I think we need is to take the, this incredible narrative of emergent uh, unfolding and articulate it religiously and, and to appreciate the spiritual implications of it, um, not just because then we can do metamodern religion in the way that I feel like makes a lot of sense and that I can really get behind, but also in a kind of very just practical, pragmatic way of trying to stave off our destruction via this sort of transhumanist nonsense getting away from us and all living in some kind of weird AI dystopia, right? So we need to marry our our technological innovation with our uh, embodied and spiritual uh, wisdom. And that's sort of the existential challenge of our moment. So um, my... Uh entry into to big history and, and working with that was when I wrote a, a book series in Danish about 17 years ago now called Both End, uh, but in Danish. And part of that was big history. And it was about the evolution and the process of evolution. And 
and where we are in history. I mean, our generation, uh, we, we're really facing something that no generation has ever faced before us. Um, and so we need to figure out what to do with that. And that's at that joint point. And we need to decide what our future is going to be like. Um, and I and I totally get your how this is, is a spiritual thing once you learn about the, the deep history, because when I when I looked into the emergence of uh, the monkeys and then the great apes and then uh, the first uh, homo, uh, what would that be? At first there was Australopithecus and then there was the homo habilis and then homo erectus and then probably some kind of um, archaic uh, homo sapiens and then homo sapiens sapiens about two or 300,000 years ago. Um, I I wouldn't say I developed a crush on Homo erectus, but I I had this um, sense of identifying with something that was extremely deep in my own DNA, so to speak, and that sense of wow, um, I am related to these beings who lived a million years ago, and who may have had language. Uh, at the level of, uh, I don't know, 18-month-old, two-year-old modern child. Uh, they have they didn't have the vocal cords or the uh, mouth to say very much or, or very sophisticated, but some proto-language they must have had. And the Neanderthals have very likely also had language, but very simple language. And, and that sense of um it it became a it became an emotional connection to these species that have died out uh 500,000 years ago some of them and uh so I, I totally get what you're saying and once you have that feeling i wouldn't say that i feel related to fish as such but <laughs> if you go far enough back there is this there's this life i mean the the force of life the the phenomenon life and, and that we share that. And, and then you start looking at uh, plants in a different way and you see this kind of, you know, it just wants to grow. Um, and, and, and we're part of that. Um, I have a bookshelf here that, that's made out of wood. And, uh, if, and yeah, I see the, the, um, the wall behind you. I mean, if we go back uh, far enough, we're actually family. Um, so, <laughs> so we're part of, we're part of that same life. And and once you I don't know what the emotion is, but but it is it is a kind of spiritual thing. And then when we look into the future, it's like, so what what will life be out there? Because we're just like one link in that chain. Uh, or as you say, we shouldn't talk about it as as being a, a, a link in that chain or our place in the chain. But more, uh, what's the uh, something with the spiral um, that that we're uh, part of the process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, what we were talking about a minute ago in terms of community, right? I think can really be kind of expanded in a very big way here. Um, so, for me, maybe I can't light a candle at the same time that thousands or millions of other people are, but that that connection that you're talking about with uh, life itself, I think can be uh, really brought into that religious sensibility as part of this narrative. 
Um, I would go even deeper, right? I mean, the fact that life emerged, um, one of the things that's that's happened, I would say, over the past 50, 60 years is a transition from thinking about life as being a kind of fluke accident that happened to show up here on the planet to now, I mean, just the other day, I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson was saying, yeah, you know, we should expect to see life other places. And Carl Sagan was a very uh, important figure for that changing of the tide to start thinking about the preponderance of life uh, in the universe uh, being much greater than we ever thought. And in fact, that, that, as he said, you know, where conditions allow up it springs. Um, and so to really think that we live in this biophilic universe, that we live in this universe that, that naturally, because it did, leads to the emergence of life, um, allows you to then kind of feel part with the universe. Um, and then another thing that Sagan observed uh, uh, and, and has sort of become, I don't know, a, a kind of trope in some ways in various physics circles, but uh, he observed that, you know, humans are a way for the cosmos to, to know itself. Um, and uh, if you really take that idea very seriously, um, then what idea we're talking about here really goes all the way down that we're not just life experiencing things, we're the universe, we're all of those levels that's emerged, and we are the kind of most enriched, complex, subjectively uh, adorned, uh, to be poetic about it, um, organism that we have, that we know of. Um, and, and so that, I think, is a very spiritual idea. Um, so I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of depth to this way of looking at the world. Um, and it's also true, <laughs> you know, at least as, <laughs> as far as we know, um, it could be documented so, scientifically. Right. Uh, and, and that to me is, a is, is a huge element to uh, trying to get over one of those hurdles of the meaning crisis, right. Which is that people will say, oh, well, I, I'd like to be religious, but I can't say that any of it's true. So what do I do? I guess everything's just meaningless. Well, um, you know, if we can have alternative ways of thinking about meaning that are in line with the best of our scientific knowledge uh, that are true and that can help us navigate this particularly uh, fraught moment that we're experiencing uh, of the transition to this hyper-technological society and the gaining of this incredible power with the very message of, wow, we're all, we are all these levels. We are a complex stack of these different emergent levels and that we can't lose touch with that. That is our very essence. Um, so all of these things start to come together in this notion of, hey, maybe we can do something religious, uh, you know, in this sort of way. And that could be both individually, psychologically, existentially fulfilling, but also culturally uh, the answer that we need at this particular moment. One thing that uh, blew my mind when I was I was working on this and started looking into big history and the evolution of our mind and, and who we are, uh, and, and you also mention it in your book, is that there were millions and millions of years where there was life on earth and there was all this stuff going on and there were dinosaurs and there was grass and plants and rodents and then we get the mammals and then we get the uh, monkeys and the apes and gradually i mean emerging there is consciousness mm. uh, that there is mind that sees the you know the world Mm -hmm. um but there was a lot of world where nobody was was 
seeing it at all. Mm. Uh, nobody knew it was there because there was nobody. Uh, there, there was not mind that was, I mean, how much, how much awareness, how much conscious knowledge of seeing the world does, I don't know, a mosquito uh, have, uh, or, I mean, elephants are probably, I mean, they're pretty much aware of the world around them, but they do not have a language, so they can't really talk about it uh, with each other. And so they cannot coordinate their inner worlds. I mean, they, they can just look from the inside out and notice that, oh, African savanna or Indian forest or whatever. So it really is with uh, humans, or at least the uh, homo um, branch on, on, the, on the tree of evolution, that we have uh, the first... A recognition of wow the world is there and looking up at the stars and asking so what is that uh and then somebody has to come up with an explanation because somebody mm. asked a question and you better you know give an explanation and until you have language you cannot do that mm-hmm. and so we we're the we're the you know we belong to the group of living beings who can see all this and and who who can look at the beauty in nature and, and look at the sky and, and see the ocean and feel all of it and share it with each other. And it's just mind blowing that there were, I don't know. So the earth is like 3.5 billion years old. And uh, if we've had language for, let's be generous, uh, 1 million years, uh, like relatively complex ish language. Uh, it's basically still, um, 560 million years with life uh, animals um, a little bit more with, with cells, single cell or multiple cell uh, organisms and nobody was there to see it um, and it just, you know, the, the process of, el- of evolution was going on and and here we are and I was yeah, screwing I- it all up I, yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean, and, and this is also one of those points where, uh, depending on what model you have, it, it shifts a little bit how you relate to this, you know, consciousness is one of these great mysteries, right? So does consciousness emerge out of matter? Is consciousness fundamental in some panpsychic sense, et cetera? You know, different people have approaches to that, but I think everyone can agree that consciousness did evolve and, uh, and that yes, the phenomenal logical experience of a mosquito looking at a sunset is going to be radically different compared to a human being. Um, and again, that comes back to complexity, right? And so when you can when you can put the whole universe, at, at least the whole Earth, on the spectrum of this complexification, and see um, that with increased complexification, you get increased kind of conscious awareness that leads to an intelligence that then can become self-aware. Uh, that then can lead to a self-awareness that can be aware that it is aware and to question its own way of thinking about being aware. Uh, And then you start getting into, you know, the various forms of meditation and metacognition that lead to being able to be conscious of your own self as a kind of, in some senses, a construction, and then try to get all that down to the core of it. And so like the spiritual quest is sort of something itself that emerges out of the very nature of reality. Um, And uh, yeah, I think that that, I think that that's an incredible narrative. Uh, One of the things I'm really fascinated by is, is how 
the notions of God, and we talked about this earlier, God and religion are part of this process. So that religion and theological concepts themselves are part of this emergent unfolding so that you can uh, say with some poetic license, I suppose, but not too much, that God evolves um, and that we are participating in that activity. Um, and so that's another area where I feel like the metamodern spirituality that I connect with um, has a very profound sense to it that that my actions as an individual, as an artist, as someone who can create and other people's with their own uh, ways of being creative and inventive uh, can put things into culture and into the universe that further the evolution of God. Uh, it's a, in some ways, radical notion, but once you just kind of look at the story, it kind of is, is right there in front of you. Um, and yeah, so uh, where this sort of is leading then becomes an obvious question, right? There's this, you know, kind of exponential curve of complexification. Uh, and you talk about a, a fifth joint point in the singularity. Uh, you know, I prefer not to look at that singularity is just being purely technological as some kind of, oh, Moore's law, we're going to get to some cyborg nature and won't that be special or something, right? Uh, because no, I don't think that that's all the human beings are. So what if that singularity is something more like what Tehard de Chardin was talking about, of that complexification leading to deeper and deeper consciousness, deeper and deeper self-awareness, um, and married then to that technological power, you start getting something like the emergence of an imminent uh, divinity, uh, which, you know, at this point, you start getting highly speculative and you lose touch a little bit with some of that scientific grounding. Uh, but at least it's a kind of an informed speculation um, that uh, that at least can be a, a kind of rough aspirational attractor, let's say. Uh, Greg Enriquez has his notion of the uh, elephant sun god that kind of is this icon that stands in for that thing. I talk about this image of a, of a of, of the omega or the kaleidoscopic eye, um, but some kind of, you know, postulated point of complexification where you get something spiritual and not just technological. And I think that that's, that is fundamentally what's missing from the kind of more simplistic transhumanist narrative. And, and I think that that's what I'm trying to correct for in some of these uh, metamodernist uh, emergentist uh, articulations. So um, speaking as a theologian now, <clears throat> what when I look at what you have created here, uh, I see a theology. Um, but what I'm missing is the service and the higher purpose and mm -hmm. the uh, and the community, which we already talked about. But the 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 sense of there's there's a higher purpose. There's there's a truth. There's a, there's something that I need to serve in order to be a, a good human being and to. Uh, to serve the grace of God or whatever it is that that is the um, the promise, the hope. Um, we've almost touched up, up, upon the hope, but what what would you say is what what is the higher purpose? What is the sacred? What is the um, what what is the yeah beyond the theology? What is what is the rest of the uh, religious package here? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think it is. It's a theological. Um, it's where the kind of more strictly scientific angle then starts to bleed into the uh, explicitly theological. And, and I think you, as much as we talk about a religion, that's not a religion in these uh, circles, I think that, uh, you know, 
you can't have a religion without that that stuff that you're talking about, the theological angle and the sacred and all that. And um, for me, it's very much there, though I can see how based on the way that we've tended to think about religion and spirituality, it's not as maybe obvious. Um, but the way I look at it is that traditionally God in, let's say, a pre-modern cultural code is understood to be supernatural, like out, outside the world in a transcendent way. Um, and then you could kind of relate to that. Uh, well, then, you know, we can't, at least I don't think, do the supernatural thing anymore with the advent of, of, of modernity and, and rational science and empiricism. But we can understand that same entity, that same force, that same being um, as being within the world, but chronologically distant, if that makes sense. Um, when we're talking about co cosmic evolution, we're talking about this, this thing that's been unfolding for billions of years and has billions of years left. Um, and if we're seeing this trajectory of this complexification that leads to deeper consciousness, a deeper moral sensibility, we haven't talked about this, but this relates a lot to building and development. Um, you, you know, metamodern perspectives are multi-perspectival in the sense that they are cognizant of different ways of being. And it takes being cognizant of different ways of being to be able to relate to those ways of being. Otherwise, you're stuck in yourself and you're egocentric and you think that your way of looking at the world is the only way. And so gaining multi-perspectival uh, lensing on the world is is a moral activity. And the more that we can do that, the more open we are and the more inclusive we can become. Um, and so this is a, another element of complexification. So complexification makes you essentially more inclusive, more open, more open-minded, more curious, more open to the mystery, um, and again, more conscious. And so if this is the trajectory and you kind of extrapolate that, um, I think that that divinity, that God, uh, doesn't lie outside of history. It lies beyond us in time. It lies in the future. Um, and so this then leads to the issue of community because, well, this is something, this is our task. This is what we're called to participate in. You know, I talk about the metaphor of building the cathedral, that that's what we're all doing together, right? But we're not building a cathedral to a particular God that we worship on some particular day or what have you. We're building the cathedral of the very notion of a new God concept. We're, we're putting into the world, this is what I'd like to see anyway, this is what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to get people excited about. Um, but ideally we could be, uh, putting into the world new images, new symbols, new ways for God to um, ex be expressed for people, uh, especially at a time when people feel like, oh, there is no God or there is no meaning or this or that. Um, I mean, this is an incredibly meaningful task to under undertake, I think. So the community element for me is the participation in uh, the the crafting, the construction, the unfolding uh, of of God in time, and we do our own small part in that. But collectively, you know, we are part of a, a big uh, group that is lighting our own candle in our own way. Um, you know, on, on the face of the globe. So that is the notion of the sacred that I have. I look in the past and I see, you know, the the lion can attack the gazelle and have no moral qualms about it because 
well, it's not a fault of the lion. It's that morality doesn't emerge at the level of mind. You know, morality, as we think of it, emerges at the level of culture and self-conscious beings that can relate to each other. So this is a process that's unfolded naturally. Um, these are emergences that when we track how they've developed, lead to something that is increasingly beautiful, increasingly good, uh, and increasingly powerful. Uh, we see that very clearly with the technology, right? The power is coming online, but we've got to get the goodness and the beauty to match that. And that, again, is uh, the communal thing that we need to get online with ourselves. So that's the um, the church component. And I think that that's the the sacred that, that I relate to. Cool. Um, we're about to, to end. Uh, I'm really happy that, uh, that we could have this, this conversation. I'm really happy that we um, could... Uh, get actually very deep into where, where we come from and who we are uh, in, a, in a different way than we uh, normally talk about it. So um, I'd like to thank you for that. And um, I can highly recommend your uh, emergentism and your uh, metamodern spirituality in, in all its forms. And I, I hope that, um, that we can, no matter what we call it, serve a higher purpose, because uh, I think the world needs that. I agree, and I very much appreciate this opportunity to come on uh, this podcast and talk to you. You are, you know, leading the charge in many ways in the metamodern ecosystem on so many fronts. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, you know, we're 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 doing our parts. We're doing our things. And I think that, um, you know, maybe it, it might sound a little too strong to call it a higher purpose for some, but I I think of it that way. I think that what we're doing is. Um, uh, meaningful. And, and I think that uh, this metamodern ecosystem is uh, collectively trying to do something that will make the world a better place. And uh, I think that, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff we need to be engaging in. So anyway, I, I appreciate this opportunity. And uh, I look forward to, uh, yeah, more conversations down the down the road. I would even go so far to, uh, and to talk about hope. As we should. Because we do not we do not talk a lot about that, so um, so I think I think that's actually what we're what we're talking about yeah. without having said it so far. So, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you.